Well, I think most of you saw uh, in the uh, email that went out this week that uh, I posted a little video letting you know that we are planning on moving inside um, October 4th, so that's two weeks from now. Um, and there's, there's plenty more details on that video and we'll uh, be updating the website with that information and then uh, sending out a, an email as well to just let you know the specifics of that. Um, but just big picture, we're going to be having two services so that we can accommodate everyone and you know maintain social distancing and all that stuff. So the services will be 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And that'll start uh, on October the 4th. So uh, we'll be asking you to sign up for which service you'll be attending. And it's really important uh, just so we know how many people are coming. Uh, but just be aware of that. and. Uh, that's two weeks from uh, from today that we'll be starting that. So again, there's a video. It's on our Facebook page. It's on the website as well. And uh, we sent out a link to it in the email uh, for you to, to view that uh, with a little bit more detail. All right. Uh, good. Well, uh, if you uh, if if I get boring, you can just look over and watch Dick grill the hot dogs this morning. So um, that'll be uh, added benefit there. Um, you know, so uh, <laughs> appreciate Danny and Dick and others uh, getting us uh, ready for the lunch today. And we'll be uh, look, looking forward to the fellowship that we'll have um, uh, after the service. You can open up to James chapter 4. We are steadily making our way through James. James chapter 4. I think if, uh, you know, occasionally you'll see someone in the broader culture, in the news or whatever, quote a Bible verse. And I would say... Uh, there are a few verses that are, are typically used uh, by people in the broader culture. And uh, one of those verses that I think would have to be among the most frequently used would be Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. And if you don't know what that verse is, it's quite short. And it says this, judge not that you be not judged. And that would, that would be a very typical verse that would be used by folks who uh, maybe don't know a lot about the Bible or are using it for a particular reason in the broader culture. Um, most people, I think, when I hear that verse quoted, most people are taking it to mean something like this. I won't tell you how to live your life if you don't tell me how to live my life judge not that you be not judged and so they would be taking it to mean something along those lines maybe with a little bit of a variation now as believers in Christ those of you that are believers this morning that are here I think you would probably know that Jesus did not intend for that verse that that saying to be taken that way I mean he didn't mean by that that each person can sort of decide on their own moral standards and there really are no absolutes morally in the universe. We can all sort of pick and choose and decide how we're going to live. That's not what Jesus intended by that. But we know he didn't mean that, but the fact remains he did say those words. And so you, we have to reckon with those words and with what he did mean by, by saying that. He meant something for us not to judge others lest we be judged. And the reason I'm talking about that verse this morning is because James, the brother of Jesus, clearly had read that or had heard Jesus say that. And so I think that's reflected in our passage for, for today, James 4, verses 11 and 12. And he wrote something very similar to the words of Jesus in this passage. 
we have to, as believers, reckon with the place of judgment among us in the body of Christ. And so what exactly are James and Jesus teaching us in regards to judging one another? And, and James would say, and we need to understand, why is it such a big deal for, for us to have a judgmental spirit or a critical and harsh attitude toward one another? And so I want to try to bring some clarity to those questions this morning as we get into this text, James 4, 11 and 12. And so in these two verses, which is all we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see two problems with slanderous and judgmental speech. Two problems with slanderous and judgmental speech. And the first one of these problems is found in verse 11, the second one in verse 12, nice and easy. The first problem with slanderous and judgmental speech is that when you participate in that, you spurn doing the law. So you spurn, you reject, you fail to act on the law and you fail to do the law when you participate in that sort of a, a, a of judgmental speech and, and critical speech. So we've spent the last three weeks in James 4 verses 1 through 10. I kind of went slowly through that on purpose. I think it's a, a key passage in the book of James. And the whole point of that passage, I think, was for us to learn how to acquire wisdom, how to put on wisdom, which has really been the theme of this whole book, acquiring wisdom so that we can grow to spiritual maturity and to spiritual wholeness. James 4, 1 through 11 is sort of the, the teaching or instructional center of the book. There's a, there's a lot of commands in this passage we saw last week where he's telling us what to do. He's teaching us practically how to acquire wisdom. And then when you get past that passage and you get to our text for today, verse 11, I think it's pretty clear in this verse that he's moving to a new subject but of course, this is not a subject that's completely separate from everything he's talked about before. A lot of the same themes that James has discussed in this book are hit on again in James 4, verses 11 and 12. But you can see, if you look at verse 11, at the beginning of the verse, this very common tactic that James uses. He addresses his readers directly with the word brothers, right? He's talking to them, and he gives them a command. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The beginning of verse 11 there. And so that's the command paired with that direct address that he gives. And that lets us know he's moving into a new topic or at least a new section of the letter. Now, if you look at that command where it says speak evil against, there's three words in English, but that's one word in Greek. That word in Greek is used a number of other places in the New Testament, and the other places that that's used, it's translated slander. So speaking evil against someone or slandering someone. And clearly, both of those are sins of the tongue. They're sins that involve our speech. Now, this is not the first time, obviously, that James has addressed our words. The way we use our words is so vital for how we put on wisdom and how we grow to spiritual wholeness. He's already talked about this a number of times. If you look back just a page or so in your Bible to James 1 and verse 26, he talks about the importance of our speech. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, 
but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then if you look across the page at James 3 and verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man or a complete man, able also to bridle his whole body. So James is returning again to our words and the way we use our words. And here he's specifically talking about the sin of slander, speaking evil against someone else. So what does that look like? Well, here's a very helpful definition that I found that I wanted to share with you. And this definition is actually written on your questions, your sermon reflection questions, which are over here, uh, if you're interested in those. But here's the definition of slander. Slander occurs whenever someone says something untrue about someone else that results intentionally or unintentionally. It may not be your purpose to do this, but it results intentionally or unintentionally in damaging that someone else's reputation. Let me read it again. Slander occurs whenever someone says something untrue about someone else that results intentionally or unintentionally in damaging that someone else's reputation. So let me compare this to another sin of the mouth to try to try to get get at the heart of this. Gossip is a sin that we commit with our mouths by speaking words. Gossip would be the sin of speaking something that may be true but it's spoken to the wrong person. That information doesn't need to go to that person, but you speak it anyway for, for some gain that you want to, uh, to have out of it. Slander is speaking false stories or false narratives. It's lying in a lot of ways about someone else. And so there's a number of ways that we can do this, right? I mean, it's not just talking about completely making something up. We can slander someone else by speaking about them and assigning wrong motives to them. Well, did you see that they did this? This is why they did that. And we assign wrong motives to them. And we're, we're misrepresenting them. We're lying about them. And it's so easy to do to think that we know why people do what they do. And then we talk about them and, and spread those those false stories about their motives to other people. We can slander someone else by changing some of the details or by leaving out important details that present someone in a wrong light. So no, I, it was true. Yeah, it was true, but you left out the most important details of the story or significant details that completely alter that person's perspective on the one that you're talking about can make someone's actions seem a lot more sinister by manipulating the information. Now let me show you a biblical example of this sin that James is warning us against. So I've been reading through the book of Exodus recently. Uh, I think it's the second time this year I've read through it. And it's obviously it's an amazing book. Love the book of Exodus in so many ways. It's a fascinating book, but <laughs> one of the most unbelievable parts of the book of Exodus, I think, is the moment where God saves the people through the Red Sea experience, brings them safely through in, in chapter 14, and then in chapter 15, you've got this song of praise to God, and then why don't you flip over to chapter 15, because I want to show you what happens here. 
It's just shocking, I think, <laughs> how quickly things go awry. So if you look at verse 21, you've got the end of this song of praise to God for the deliverance that he gives to them. Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And then look at verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Three days journey into the wilderness, and they are already grumbling. Now, this continues. They keep traveling through. God gives them a bit of a respite in the in the wilderness when they come to some springs in verse 20 in verse 27 of chapter 15 but then when you get into chapter 16 look at verse 2 and the whole congregation of the people of israel grumbled against moses and aaron in the wilderness and the people of israel said to them would that we had died by the hand of the lord in the land of egypt when we sat by the meat pots it doesn't sound very appealing to me but whatever meat pots and ate bread to the full and then look at this this is the part that slander right for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger i mean that's not true that's not what moses and aaron were doing that's not what the lord was doing but the people were so twisted in their thinking that they assigned a false motive they said something completely untrue about Moses and Aaron and ultimately about God because Moses makes it clear later in that passage that when you grumble against us, you're not really grumbling against us. You're complaining against the Lord and his ordering of your lives. But this is slander. It's saying something that's untrue. It's assigning a false motive to someone. In many ways, I think this is like the original conspiracy theory right? They're assuming that there's this huge plot to get them out in the wilderness and cause them to go hungry. It's unbelievable. They're slandering Moses and Aaron, and therefore they're slandering God. But if you flip back to James chapter 4, this command that James gives in verse 11 says that you and I are to avoid this sort of speech toward other believers. Do not speak evil against one another brothers. Why? Why are we to avoid this with such intentionality and such care in our lives to avoid slandering one another? Well, James is going to build a logical case as to why we need to carefully avoid this type of speech in our lives. Look next in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law so now as he's building his logical case he adds another uh, word in here another command to avoid and that's to avoid judgment so what does it mean to judge a brother we've talked about slandering a brother or speaking evil against but along the same lines is judging another brother so the idea in judging someone else is to condemn a fellow believer because of his or her life or because of his or her actions, something that they're doing. Judging fits nicely with slander because a lot of the time we are condemning someone else 
for something that is not even necessarily true or it's not even something that is necessarily wrong. It's not something that is sin, but we bring judgment against that person. We condemn them because of something that they're doing. Now, I think for most Christians, this is a really hard concept to pin down. What are we talking about here when we talk about judging one another? Most of the time when we think about this, we sort of fall into two errors with this, almost like two ditches on the side of the road, and it's really difficult to stay in the middle. And most of us fall into one of these two main errors. The first error that we fall into is we don't worry about sin in any other believer's life. If we find out about something, if they tell us about some significant sin that they're doing, we don't even address it. We don't want to deal with it because we don't want to be judgmental. And we've twisted this word to mean something that it doesn't mean. So we sort of dismiss the wrong in another believer because we, we don't think it's our place. I shouldn't speak about this. It's not my place to talk about this. But the Bible is quite clear that it is our place as believers when we know that a brother or sister is sinning to say something to them and to help them to not be self-deceived and blind. And we need to speak into their lives. We have to confront sin within the community. The Bible is quite clear on that. And so I think a lot of times when, when believers take this tactic where they say, well, it's not my place. I don't want to be judgmental. We're basically just adopting the way the world uses this concept. You live as you want to. I'll live as I want to. And we don't want to deal with any sin in our midst. So that's one error that we fall into. We misunderstand the word judgment to mean confronting sin, but that's not what it's talking about. The second error that I think we fall into is we are always on the lookout to condemn others. And so we develop a critical or a judgmental spirit. We're always looking for the wrong. But oftentimes, this may not involve actually going to and confronting someone else, but oftentimes this involves criticism of another person behind their back. Or this involves slander against another person, and it's not even based on an actual sin that they've committed. We're condemning them over some some life uh, decision or some action that they're doing that isn't even wrong. It's not even biblically a sin. So much of the time we slander others over something that is a personal conviction. It's not reflective of a biblical command or a principle. And so here's how most of us kind of walk through our Christian lives. Everyone who I perceive as having sort of, I'll use the word, looser standards than I do, is a liberal, and I'm not in the political sense, but they're, they're on their way to denying the core tenets of Christianity, and they're sinning all the time, and, and they're not holding to the Bible, and anyone who has any sort of a looser standard than me, I put in that category, and then anyone who has sort of a more strict standard than I do, well, they're just a legalist. I alone have the perfect balance. I alone have figured all of this out. You liberals over here, you legalists over here, and me in the middle, I've got it down. I alone hold the right position on all of these issues. And it could be any number of issues. It could be music styles, which maybe is something that 
some still struggle with, something from the past more or less. It could be the way people dress. It could be alcohol. It could be politics and particular positions on that. It could be what sort of level of wealth is appropriate for a believer to have. It could be any number of things that they are the Bible gives leeway on those, but we talk about people because they have a different standard or a different conviction than we do. Because we very arrogantly think we've got it nailed down. And so you've got these sort of two misunderstandings, and most Christians seem to fall into one or the other of these. Maybe both at the same time. We only talk about people behind their backs, but never actually go to someone and talk to them about an issue. <laughs> And so how do we stay away from these two errors? How do we rightly apply what James is telling us here about judgment and staying away from judgment? Well, I think we have to humbly, and the attitude is so important here, humbly, as best as we can, root all of our standards, all of our convictions, all of our opinions, as much as we can in the word of God. This has to be the center of what we think. This has to be the controlling reality in our, in our thinking, in our convictions. And so we have to hold tenaciously to what the Bible teaches. And we can't add things to Scripture, and we certainly can't take things away from Scripture. As much as we can, we have to hold to the Bible, and then we have to humbly be ready to talk about differences with other believers and adjust our thinking and our positions on these things. We can't treat personal preferences as if they're the commands of Scripture. Now, I know most of us are not running around confronting other people, you know, over some perceived sin. That's not the norm in the Christian community. But we do talk about other people, and that's what James is getting at. We do talk about them when they're not around. We speak against them. We judge them. We condemn them over any number of areas. And when we do that, whether we intend to or not, we are damaging their reputation by judging them and slandering them to another believer. And that is what James is commanding us to avoid here. So how do we avoid this? We, I've already said we have to be humbly, tenaciously, given to the text of scripture and what the Bible teaches. And then I think we have to be very cautious in bringing any sort of a judgment against another believer, especially when we're talking to someone else. We have to be very careful about how we speak about one another. We have to treat judgment of another believer with care and we have to tread lightly. Why? Well, look at the logic that James lays out here in verse 11. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. So when you slander another brother or sister in Christ, when you speak evil against that person, when you condemn them to another believer, you aren't just judging or slandering that individual. You are, in fact, judging the law. And there's a massive problem with judging the law. Look at the end of verse 11. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now we've seen in James the goal of 
hearing the commands of God's word is that ultimately we would obey those commands. That's the end game here. That's what James is pushing us toward. He wants obedience. He wants us to become doers of the word. If you go back to James 1 and verse 22, quite clear, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And James uses the same word here. You're not a doer of the law anymore, but a judge. The problem with judging another believer is that you become a judge of the law and rather than placing yourself under the law and submitting to what God commands, now you place yourself above the law. You have become the one deciding right from wrong. You have become the one who decides who is to be condemned and who is acceptable. You become the standard rather than God's word. And you no longer submit to God's word because you're above it. And you know best. And you know right from wrong. Now I'm going to come back to that idea of being a doer of the law in just a minute. But I want to get to our second problem with slanderous and judgmental speech. And this is in verse 12. The second problem here is that you supplant God's authority. So you spurn being a doer of the law. The second problem is that when you do this, when you slander others, when I slander others, now I have supplanted God's authority. Look at verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. When you slander others, when you speak evil against a brother, you speak evil against the law, you put yourself above the law, and now you're no longer submitting to God. You're trying to take his place. And he is the only lawgiver. There is only one lawgiver, back in verse 12, and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. The bottom line is, God is the only one who's able to give commands to us. He sets the ordering of our lives. He's the ultimate lawgiver, not you or I. He's the one who has the power to save from breaking the law, to save those who have broken the law from the penalty of breaking the law. And he's the one who has the power to condemn those who break the law. He is the judge. And when you and I speak evil against one another and gossip and slander and judge one another, then we are trying to determine who's in and who's out. We're trying to damage the reputation of those around us, intentionally or unintentionally. We're trying to take God's position and attempting to save or attempting to destroy. Now, Paul talks in Romans 14 about this very thing, about judging one another. And he talks about the folly of trying to usurp God's authority and trying to place yourself as another man's master and authority. Romans chapter 14, in this, cha- in this section, I'll read some of the, the verses to you. You don't have to turn there, but he's addressing how we handle those things that are kind of more open in Scripture. The Bible doesn't speak 
yes or no to them, but gives some level of leeway. And Paul is more interested not in the action per se, but in how we respond to one another and how we treat one another. There can be different approaches to issues of life within the Christian community. And so here's what Paul says. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verses 10 through 13, Paul says this, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So that person that I spoke evil against last week, or I slandered, or I judged, that person is a servant of God, and that person is accountable to God. God is his master, or her master. And so Paul is saying here, let them be accountable to God. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to kind of try to correct some wrong thinking here. This is not a give or sort of live and let live mentality. This is not saying that when there's clear sin in the community that we sort of go, well, God's their master. No, that's not the right approach. We have to deal with clear sin in the community of believers, but judging one another and slandering one another is an entirely different matter. Speaking evil against a brother or sister is a whole different ballgame than confronting clear sin in the community. James brings his argument to a close here in verse 12. Look there at the end of verse 12. And what he's doing here is he's helping us to think in a positive way about how to treat one another. He says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? This is, a, this is a great question. I mean, you could say this like this. Who do you think you are to judge a neighbor? I mean, why, why have you assumed this position that you're going to determine who's in and out? You're going to condemn another brother or sister in Christ. But notice here the word that he uses at the end of this. Who are you to judge your, he doesn't say brother. He doesn't say one another. What does he say? He says neighbor. Why does he do that here? He's using this word intentionally to draw our attention back to a passage in the Old Testament. And this is a passage in Leviticus 19 and verse 18 that has sort of served as the foundation under a lot of what James has said. And that passage reads like this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We've talked this entire time about the problems with judging one another and slandering one another. But James directs our attention back to Leviticus 19 to give us the positive of how we should treat one another and how we should relate to one another. What should that look like? It should look like the last phrase in Leviticus 19:18. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our disposition ought to be loving one another and serving one another instead of slandering and judging one another behind that person's back or to a group of friends when they're not there. 
So this takes us back to the, the end of verse 11, where we talked about being a doer of the law. I told you I'd go back to this. James says, if you're judging the law, then you're no longer a doer, but a judge. Why does he say that? Because slander and judgment of one another mean that I've moved outside of the realm of love. I'm no longer loving my neighbor as myself. I'm no longer obeying this command to love one another. Essentially, instead, I'm I'm hating my brother or sister when I'm damaging their reputation by, by slandering them. And so living in love for one another, living that out, would mean avoiding slander, avoiding judgment. And instead, it would mean focusing on edification and on encouragement of one another. But that's tough, right? Because, man, slander is appealing. A lot of times we don't even think about it. We don't think we're doing it, but it's appealing because when we tear someone down, even if it's in a casual comment to one other individual, when we do that and when we tear someone down, man, we sort of feel better about ourselves. We sort of imagine that we are the good people. We've got it together. And we feel better about ourselves, and we think that other person who we're sharing the slander with will think better of us too. And I will look better in that person's eyes. But that's the opposite of biblical love. Biblical love flows in the book of James from wisdom from above. And what does wisdom from above look like? James 3 and verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Biblical love seeks peace with one another even when there are differences. Biblical love seeks understanding with one another when we see things in a different way. Biblical love is open to reason. I can be convinced that maybe I'm viewing this wrong. Because biblical love is humble. Biblical love is full of mercy and good fruits. Now, of course, loving one another, you know that command, that is the second greatest commandment given to us. The first greatest commandment given to us by our Lord is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second command flows from the first command. We only love God because he's first loved us. And the pathway to cultivating love for God and love for neighbor is by going back to the love of God for us and dwelling on his care and concern for us. I love how John puts this in 1 John 3.16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for those around us. So if you're given to slander, if maybe the Lord has opened your heart this morning to, man, this is, a, this is something I struggle with. I, maybe I didn't even think about it, but I really do constantly have a critical spirit and a judgmental spirit. And I sort of do think I've got all the right positions on everything. And everybody over here is a liberal, close to denying the faith, and everybody over here is a a legalist. They're crazy. Maybe the Lord has opened your eyes to that this morning, and you know you need to grow in love for one another. 
which is not always an easy thing to do. What do I do? I go back, as John would say, to the way Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know love. This is how we cultivate love and grow love and learn to live in love with one another. And so Christ has given his life for us, and so we give our lives for the good of one another. We live sacrificially. We give up our rights. We give up our preferences for the good of others. And we avoid slander and judgment because our Lord has loved us and sacrificed for us. And so we can do the same for those around us as we dwell on that love and understand that love and it changes us to be more loving people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that this morning you would open our eyes to maybe how frequent these sins are in our lives and in our community, Lord. I know it's been convicting for me to think this through. And I pray that you would open our eyes to that. Reveal our hearts to us. Help us to be humble before you this morning. To reckon with the many ways in which we we talk about one another. We speak about brothers and sisters in Christ. And then, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to repent of wrong that we see and turn from our sin and turn to the glorious and sacrificial love that you have displayed for us. Help us to run to Christ. Help us to run to the gospel and change our hearts and change our disposition toward those around us and help us to to be more loving people, to love our neighbors as ourselves. We thank you for the work that you're doing in us. We want you to work through us in greater and greater ways as we edify and build up and show mercy to one another. We thank you for your empowering grace. We thank you for your love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.